So it's super dope to have family in the audience. But if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of switch gears for a second. And I want to introduce us to a new series, something that we've all wrestled with. I have wrestled this. The pandemic has made us all wrestle with. And how many of you are tired? How many of you are weary? How many of you are fatigued? How many of you are tired of fighting, tired of fighting for what is right, tired of fighting for what you think is right, tired of fighting for people that have consistently made you feel like you're always wrong, tired of fighting the things that you have experienced in your life, and you are saying, God, I need strength. I can't continue like this. So this new series is aimed at strength. I'm sorry, Jordan. I apologize. Youth are dismissed ages 12 to 18 years old, grade 7 to 12. You are dismissed. I heard you, and I'm sorry. We want to, again, ages 7 to 12. Jordan, we got to work on our hand signals. It was too discreet. <laughs> Anyways, we want to encourage you, but we also want to be honest with you. So as we take apart this series and hopefully take apart these next couple verses, I pray that you will go in depth with me, that you will look at the text with me, and, but you will be honest with yourself as well. One of, people keep talking to me and they say, man, what is your scripture like? What are you going through? And honestly, every day someone's like, how are you doing? I said, I'm just trying not to get weary and well-doing. Like that's the, that's the hardest thing not to do because everybody's tired of trying to do right even when the world does you wrong. Everybody's trying to do right when their husband or their wife or their singleness is not treating them right, when your job is not treating you right, and you get tired of it. So today this sermon is for you, but this sermon is also for me. Can we pray? Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity for us to dive into your word. Now, I would say that I would want it to be powerful, but we already know it's powerful all by itself. I am just a privilege to be used. I am just a broken vessel that you consistently use, mold, and shape. So God, what I do pray is that our hearts are ready to receive your already powerful word. We already know it splits bone and marrow. I just pray that our hearts are not too hard to receive, that the seed that is thrown today will land on fertile soil. But my heart also will be willing to throw it with the, the correct exegesis and truth of your word. Because if I do that correctly, hearts will already be impacted. So God, I pray, and I am humbly submitting myself unto your word in recognition that I desperately need you, especially during this fatiguing time, that you will speak to me as much as you speak to your people. God, I desperately want you, and I need you, and I love you you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So don't judge me, but I'm fixing to say something that has been a, a thorn in my side. I'm tired of people telling me that I'm a picky eater. <laughs> now, somebody out here in the audience is just like me, and I'm going to explain why, because we'll go to fancy restaurants and still get chicken strips. <laughs> yeah, we'll be at Grace's like, hey, give me your chicken strips with extra gravy, please. That, that's us. But don't be alarmed. Don't be mad at me. Just know my mom would always say you're a picky eater. Now she got me out of that. My wife has now gotten me out of that. My wife has now allowed me to see the delicacies that exist. And many of us have gone into different food trucks, restaurants, sushi. We eat raw fish, cooked fish. We eat a lot of different things because we get tired of eating the same thing. But that is your fault. I can eat the same thing every week. And that just shows you how consistent I am. So I'm not picky. I'm consistent. 
I can eat Chick-fil-A every week. That is called consistency. How many of you can go to your restaurant, say, and close your eyes and know exactly which drive through line to pick from the two lines, knowing which one's going faster, have measured it out, close your eyes and say, I want a number one, no pickles, extra pepper jack cheese, and take it to fruit instead of fries, and you can even get a kale salad if you really feel healthy that day? How many of you can do that, huh? But then some of y'all be going to these fancy restaurants like Uchi and all this stuff, getting some sushi that's like this big, talking about, mm, that was delicious. You still hungry. <laughs> that's on you. And broke, thank you. The receipt was large. Why? Because I'm bitter, because I took my wife there. Now, that's not the point. The point is when you know what's good, you keep going back. But many of us, when we get bored of things, we keep trying new things, expecting different results. So that's kind of how we treat our spiritual walks. If you know what's good, stay consistent in what's good. If you know what a good thing is, then some of us have gotten tired and we're trying new things spiritually. We're trying to do something different spiritually. Even some of us are saying, I'm just spiritual. That's not a thing. Some of us are saying that, you know what, I'm going to try a different way of my faith. And I'm just saying, no, stay consistent. Keep sowing in what is good. Go through the same drive through line because you know our God is good. Stay strong. Say, keep your strength in what is good. But some of us are tired, so we're trying new things on the menu. I have no idea what we're ordering. And then when we get the bill, we are surprised to find that it cost us more than we thought. So I want to look at you right now and wonder how many of you have lost strength because your spiritual walk that you thought you were doing what's right is costing you more than you thought. That some of us are getting our bill realizing that, man, this sin has costed me more than I thought. I'm consistently committing the same sin only to realize it costs a lot more. And what you're going to find in Galatians chapter 6 verses 8 through 10 is you're going to find people who were trying new things. And, and Paul had to remind them and say, wait a second. You got to not get tired of doing what's right. You got to do what's good. Don't lose heart in what is good because some of them were falling into some libertine type religion. Some of them were falling into even some legalism and they were getting tired of their legalistic ways. So I ask you another question before I even begin. How many of you are tired of the legalistic church as well? That people judge you only by what you can act out and do. Some of y'all have to wear the right shirt when you walk in. Make sure you put on your high and holy suit. Make sure you look right. And therefore, we have applied our own laws to our faith. So therefore, it becomes tiring to become a Christian for somebody else where your faith is not measuring up to somebody else. But today, I want to redefine that as well. Secondly, I want to redefine that some of us have given up chasing what is morally good, excuse that, what is godly good. And then we're going to make sure that we can define that as well today. So when you turn in your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, and we're going to hear some verses. And I know it seems like I'm starting in a very weird spot because it's going to talk about you sow what you reap. And everybody loves this verse because they used to use it to beat up kids in elementary school. <laughs> but that's not what this verse means. In Galatians chapter 6, it reads, For one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Start there. First, before we even talk about growing weary or doing good, you got to know what seed you're throwing. Bear with me. Because if you don't know what you're throwing, then you don't know what you're weary with. So the first thing you have to understand is what does the word sow even mean? Sow mean it was an agricultural term of throwing the seed. So what he's saying is, is what you plant is what you get. So I'm going to say this and I'm going to say it nice, but I will hope that you take it. If you keep 
receiving the word we're going to define in corruption in your life, it might be because you're throwing the wrong seed. You got to remember who he's talking to in the book of Galatians. I want you to understand what his audience is and what they were going through. I want you to understand what libertine theology they were doing. So when I talk about this, I want to give you what they were doing that he's saying, hey, some of y'all are throwing the wrong stuff. But he uses a definition for what they were throwing, right? They were throwing things of the flesh. But what type of things were they throwing? So if you hear a word that strikes your heart, just let it hit where it is because this is exactly what they were doing. They were doing in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15 and 26, they were conceited, prideful, that they kept throwing a prideful seed. And he said, that is a deed of your what? Flesh. You keep sowing flesh and expecting godly results. You can't throw something that is ungodly and expect it. Now, I know y'all know this already. I'm going to break you off on some biology lessons. You ready for this? If you plant an orange seed, you go and get an orange tree. But I don't know why some of us keep planting an orange seed and saying, I don't know why I don't have an apple tree. That's on you. Because you knew what you threw. You knew what you dug a hole for and you knew what you've watered. So if you keep watering pride, if you keep watering that fact that you are self-absorbed, if you keep watering the fact that it's all about you, if you keep watering that, your tree will produce exactly that. So when everybody around you says, man, I can't get down because you think everything is about you, that's your tree. But we can't walk around saying, oh, no, that's not me. So before we even talk about doing good, let's define what they were doing wrong. Now he says this. It says not only were they conceited, but they were envious. Verse 26 as well. Envious of others. And I can't preach every single one of the things that they were doing because we can also go where to another verse where he talks about the fruit of the flesh, right? Where we, he talks and he defines what that is. So it's not just these three things I'm fixing to name. He also, what, divvies up the difference between the Holy Spirit's fruit and the flesh's fruit. So we know that he's trying to pick apart what is different between the two. But if you get this last one or these last two, it says that they were what? They were envious of others and they were living aloof of other people's needs. Verse chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, that they didn't even care what you were going through. Now, this one may sting, but they all go together in a way that some of us only care about ourselves, and we can care less about what you're going through. That's why I loved yesterday when I saw people who probably had their own needs serving somebody else's needs. That they were saying, I know I got my own, but that doesn't mean I live aloof to somebody else. That doesn't mean when I see you, I can't recognize your needs. So therefore, this, these fleshly things he's talking about, if you throw the seed, just know it produces the tree. Not only were they conceitful and self-absorbed, they were prideful, verses 3 through 4. And they were misusing their Christian freedom. Now that one I got to stick with. It's also the word libertine, that they had people who were behaving without moral principles or a sense of responsibility. So even though he names some sins and then he gives us the fruit of the flesh, he tells us the deeds of the flesh, excuse me, and then he said these are the fruit of the Spirit. He also says, hey, the Church of Galatia, I want you to listen, is that some of y'all are no longer taking responsibility for your moral life. Now don't tell me this ain't America. Don't tell me that we have people walking around saying, you know, I'm no longer responsible for the morality in which I live. That I can live a double life. I can drink on Saturday or whatever on Saturday. I can, be, I can carouse on Saturday. I can go out on Saturday. I can do me on Saturday. I can have sex on Saturday. And on Sunday, I live a wholly different life because I am no longer responsible for how I behave. And he's looking at the church and he's saying, no, sir, what you plant is what you get. 
So sometimes we have to ask ourselves a simple question. Maybe the reason why our single life is what it is because we jacked it up in the first place. Maybe the reason why your marriage life is what it is because you keep sowing seeds of pridefulness and conceit and self-absorbed. And you're sitting there saying, I don't know why our marriage wouldn't work, but you got to come off yourself in order for it to work. Or maybe you're not taking responsibility for the lack of morality in your life and the lack of morality in your marriage and you keep wanting godly results. I used to tell people this all the time. Stop expecting, stop expecting godliness from an ungodly situation. I'm sorry. It's like meeting your person at the club talking about, I don't know why we just can't go to church together. No, y'all can go to the club together. That's, 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 that's where y'all met. He can dance, though. He can pop and lock. I mean, she can, she can dance. Let's get off that. Let's, let's don't. Let's don't name those dances. Now, they were sowing into their own flesh. So therefore, it gets this word that says, it gets this word called corruption. Corruption is a decay. All right, now stay with me here. I want you to even write. I know I said I'm teaching today, so bear with me. There's a lot of definitions, and I don't got a lot of time. The word decay is something simple. The word corruption is like you looking at a corpse. Hear me out. And you know when the flesh starts to deteriorate, it starts to decay. So what he's saying is if you sow the deeds of the flesh, you should expect the sinful results, which we all know since Genesis is what? Death. So therefore, if you sow the seed, you get the death. So therefore, when you look at relationships or you look at things going on in your life and all you see is death, we have to recognize that that is a result of the sow you see, the seed you sowed. So therefore, when you look at it, you're like, dang, why does every relationship fall apart? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why is it always decaying? Why is everything decaying around me? It may be because you're throwing the wrong seed. We have to sometimes be willing to step back for a second and say, is it me? You ever ask that question? I know. This one's not necessarily American. But to be able to say, you know, be, be, I don't know, honest enough to say, is this problem me? You know, the reason why one of these guys sitting in this chair, his name is Jared. I already introduced him, so you already know who he is. That's the guy I call when I'm talking, and I want us to get some advice about my marriage when I'm trying to go through things, and I need somebody that's going to be willing to check me. You know what he says? That's on you. That's on you. At the end of the day, Pierre, that has nothing to do with Monica. That has all to do with you. You're prideful. And then he says, go love your wife. So I guess I'm asking you the same question. Allow me to be Jared to you real quick. How many of you is it that on you? When you're calling about somebody else's problems but don't realize that the decay in your life is because you've sowed that seed. Well, moving on, then he says, if you sow in the spirit. Because if you ever notice in Galatians, you know what things he says about in the spirit, walk in the spirit, be guided by the spirit. He keeps telling you that you need to what? Practice the things of the Spirit. So when he uses the word so, all he's trying to get you to understand is that you should what? Consistently throw seeds that are of the Spirit. So you can consistently practice what the Holy Spirit puts on your life. It's like when you go to the work and you know you need to tell somebody off, but you decide to function in love and kindness because you know that is a fruit of the Spirit. You are sowing the correct seed. So if you are sowing the correct speed, then you can expect the right harvest. So if you throw the fruits of the Spirit, if you practice the deeds of the Spirit, if you do what the Holy Spirit is requesting of you and convicting you to do, then you will reap eternal life. And you're like, you're up here, question mark. I thought we had eternal security. You do. 
But at the same time, I could tell a tree by its fruit. So be careful what I'm fixing to say. I know that if you're saved, you're saved forever. Don't think eternal security has switched over at the Living Word Fellowship Church. What I'm also fixing to say is if you're saved, guess what you want to do? Practice the fruit of the Spirit. You want to sow it. But if you constantly say, you know what, I'd rather throw the wrong seeds, at some point you got to check your life and say, do I even have the Holy Spirit in the first place? So what he's saying is, ah, I want you to look. And I know you're like, Pierre, I thought you were supposed to encourage me today. I'm getting there. <laughs> but he says, if you keep practicing, you will reap corruption, which talks about the fact that there will be decay and corruption in your life. It's like looking at America and realizing why America is corrupted in itself. It's because we keep throwing the wrong seeds. But let's get off of that. The eternal life he had in mind was a final consummation of your salvation. So that one day if you keep throwing the right seed, even if you don't see the results today, which we're going to talk about in a second, you know one day if you keep throwing the right seeds, you will reap the reward in heaven. We'll talk about that. So here's his encouragement as he switches gears. Because he's saying if you do the right thing, you'll get the right reward. If you keep doing the wrong thing, expect the wrong reward. So then he says, so do the right thing. Then he says, don't lose heart in doing the right thing. See, if you don't read verse 8, you won't rec understand and recognize the beauty of what he's trying to get you to understand. That the reaping and the sowing transfers down to verse 9. Because what he's trying to get you to understand is you have to be careful with what you throw. Because if what you throw throws the wrong thing, you will get that result. But let me encourage you. Do not lose heart. Let us not lose heart in doing good. My coach, now I, in seminary, they tell you not to use sports illustrations, so I'm going to try to illustrate this physically as possible, but I'm old and my knees are bad, so hold with me. I was a cornerback. That means I guarded the receiver. They were faster, better, stronger, and taller, and they looked better, but that's not the point. The point is I had to guard them, okay? And we did this thing. It's called trail technique, and I'm going to be fast. Trail tech means that I had to get behind the receiver and mimic his moves. That means if, he, if I'm running behind him, I can't see the quarterback, so the only thing I could do is read the man in front of me. So if he goes this way and he's running, I have to run at his speed. If he chops his feet, I have to chop my feet. If he goes right, I need to go left. Reason being, because if somebody puts their foot out on the right side, that usually means they're planting to go the other way. So whatever he did, I had to do, but I got tired. The coach kept making us do the same drill every single day. As soon as we get into practice, I had to run behind this dude, and he was stinky, and I was stinky, and we had to run behind each other, and whatever he did, I had to do. Whatever he did, I had to do. And after a while, I got tired. But then the first game of the season came around, and all of a sudden, the receiver was running in front of me, and finally, I saw some competition, and when he chopped his feet, I chopped my feet. And when he went right, I went left, and I was faster than everybody else on the field because I decided not to stop practicing what is good. Ladies and gentlemen, the enemy's in front of you and he's chopping his feet and your situation's in front of you and he's chopping his feet. But if you don't practice it, when you finally get to your game, you're going to miss it every time. When your enemy's in front of you, when your circumstances in front of you, when your singleness is in front of you, when your marriage is in front of you, when all these things that you thought, man, I don't need to practice because I'm tired of coming to practice. I'm tired of waking up six in the morning. I'm tired of reading my Bible. I'm tired of praying. I'm tired of coming to church. It's rainy outside. I don't feel like being here. I want to come to six o'clock. I ain't coming to this service. And we start making excuses because I don't want to be at the practice. And God is like, throw the right seed and don't stop. 
Because if you throw the right seed sooner or later, when the competition comes, when your experiences come, when your marriage issues come, because they will come, when your singleness comes, when your purity is tested, and all these things in your life, when they chop their feet, you know which direction to go. But if you quit in practice, you'll quit when the game time comes. So I guess what he's saying is, hey, don't lose heart in the practice. Don't lose heart because it seems, think about it. Think about the agricultural living they had. That means they threw seeds for four months. They would plant. They would move the dirt around. They would cover it back up. They would pray for rain so they can water their plants. They had to do all this only to reap it in a whole nother season. Ladies and gentlemen, some of us are getting tired because we can't see the results. So therefore, we stop practicing because we're like, I can't see it. But you better pray for rain so you can get your results. But don't think for one second that you got to stop throwing your seed. Stop chopping your feet. Go to practice every day. Listen to the word of God. Stop turning on the wrong stuff and say, God, I need to hear from you so that I can practice it. Uh, Because he says, do not lose heart. So this is a sermon for you, for those who have lost heart over this pandemic. You've went through your, your life. You've, things have happened. Marriages have been challenges. Divorce rates are high, even amongst Christians. So we can't make that excuse anymore. We have people who are giving in to immorality. We are no longer responsible. Libertine, we are no longer responsible for our morality. We are saying, you know what, God, I am tired. You keep asking me to live this right life. You keep telling me to do good when everybody else is doing me wrong. You keep telling me to live pure. You keep telling me to make sure I treat my husband like this and treat my wife like this. You keep telling me that I got to go to my job and honor and live with integrity and all this other people. And I see people leave work early every day, and I'm tired of consistently doing good and never seeing my reward. And this is all Paul can tell you. He says, let us not lose heart. In 2 Thessalonians 3.13, for your own memory and your own Berean sake, I want you to read that verse. If you ever feel like, I just need somebody to remind me, but watch the definition of losing heart. It is not to lose one's motivation and, and able to continue in the pattern and the conduct in which God has called you to. That means you don't lose your motivation. How many of you are like me when you roll out of bed and the last thing you want to read is your Bible? Or before you go to bed, the last thing you want to read is your Bible. You have lost your motivation. You know why I think some of us have lost the motivation? Can I sidestep you for a second? I think people lose motivation when they don't see results. That you've prayed for something for so long and you haven't found it. You haven't seen it. You can't get it. So after a while, guess what happens? You stop praying because you only prayed to get it. And some of us only have a spiritual walk until God says or does what we want him to do. And that's when we feel remotivated. But God is like, wait a second, you've missed the point. You only throw seeds so you can get your eternal reward. Doesn't mean it's going to happen to you today. And we got to stop falling for people tickling our ears saying, if you do this, you get that. It is not that type of relationship. So therefore, some of you are like me. When we wake up in the morning, the first thing we check is our phone, but it ain't our Bible app. And we got to be honest with that. We're tired of reading the Bible. We don't understand it. They're tired. I don't, I don't get it. Why am I keep reading the same verse and nothing happens? I'm just going to wait till Sunday and then I'll get in my relationship with God. And it just doesn't work like that. How many of you are tired of being single, tired of trying to be pure, tired of trying your best? People are coming at your door, knocking on your door, telling you what they want from you. And you're like, you know what? I kind of want it too today. And we want to give in to that motivation. We are lacking motivation to maintain. Some of us are tired of our husbands, tired of our wives, waking up looking like, oh, she's still there. And we like, I can't do it. You lost heart. But if you look at Paul's life and you look at the author who wrote it, you would realize there's no greater example of somebody who should have lost heart. 
Just, just, do, some, just do some history for me. Who do you think should have lost heart by now? Paul. Shipwrecked, snake bitten, beaten. If I was him, I'm like, this ain't worth it. I was better off killing Christians at this point. I was better off doing me. I was better off living with no more responsibility. I was better off being blind, waking up, realizing, saying, take the scales off my eyes and going back to doing me. And I guess I realized why Paul would write with so much conviction because he's the one that experienced an exact thing that many of you are. That you've been snake bitten, beaten for your faith. You have been told, hey, this ain't worth it. Stop living according to everything the Bible says. It's an old book written by a certain type of man. Don't, you don't have to do it no more. Stop doing it. But if Paul can write it and believe it, who are we not to keep and continue? So I ask you, how many of you have been shipwrecking? The Carnival Cruise ain't flipped yet. How many of you have been bitten by a snake while you're trying to do God's work? How many of you have been stranded on an island? How many of you have been put in jail for your faith? So if that ain't you, what are we tired of? No, that's inconsiderate. I know you're tired. Because you know why I know you're tired? Because I'm tired. You're tired of explaining yourself, telling, telling people why you feel the way you feel, tired of going to work and trying to explain yourself to people, tired of going to work and trying to explain your faith. You're tired of going around this world trying to say, this is the reason why I live. This is all this stuff. And the only place you feel comfortable sometimes is in church because nobody else is living the faith you live in. I get it. But this is my heart, is that you don't lose it. Hmm. But you can't lose something you don't have. What was happening after a while, if you look at the verses above, is that they were becoming lazy. That they were not only lacking motivation, but they were becoming lazy. That they were tired of, and I'm going to read this to you so you can understand this. They were tired of unworthy and many ungrateful people. Oh, this is us. That they were overwhelmed and drained by paying out and being good to people. Only to be responded with the coldness of others. Finally, after a while, you give in and you say, you know what, what's the point of being good if everybody else is bad? The only way I can motivate you is tell you who you're being good for, and the only way I can motivate you is tell you what good even means. So you see how he says, let us not get weary in well-doing, because you got to understand exactly what he's trying to get you to understand. And he says, hey, I understand that you've been with legalism, but then he says, let us not lose heart in doing, watch this word, good. So here's the biggest question of the day. What is good? Because many of us have defined good according to our own life. That's why many of us argue over things that are really not even biblical because we've made good subjective Think about it. How many of us argue over opinions? I'm not talking about facts. Facts are facts. Numbers make sense. But I'm talking about opinions. I'm talking about you said this is good. That's like you arguing over Lucky Charms versus Cinnamon Toast Crunch. At some point, nobody's going to win because it's what? Subjective. He's not saved. 
Obviously, he's reaping and sowing in the flesh and is equal corruption of the cinnamon toast crunch. But that's not the point. The point is simple. Is that what is good? Because when you say I do good, he's saying the only thing that has made good, good was a good father. The only one who could, you can say I'm doing good is when you pursuing who is good. Okay, hear me out. So if Jesus came and said, I died on the cross for your sins so I can make you good. Then the only thing you can do with the life that he has now given you is do good. And the only person who is good, who gave you access to do good, because he removed your flesh so that you have the spirit enabled and given you, empowered you to do good. The only thing you got is to pursue God himself. So we have to stop defining your good as just being good at your job. We have to stop defining good as having a good bank account. That is not good. That is called finances. So your success, America's the definition of success is no longer success. But the only thing you can measure your life by is how you do what? Good. And the only definition we have for God is doing what God has called you to do every single day. Then you can say, I did good today. That's like my wife giving me a recipe. I do the exact opposite of the recipe and say, is this good? She's going to say, what? No. So why when God gives us a recipe for what life is and then we walk out and do the exact opposite and say, God, are you pleased? And he's like, no. That's not what I wanted. That's not what I requested. But you know why that has to matter? You got to love the good father enough to only want to please him. This is the biggest hit. If you don't care about how God made you good, and if you don't care about what it took to make you good, and you don't care about the relationship and the good father, then what is the point of being responsible to do good? It's all motivated by your relationship and how much you love God, because you're willing to pursue God even if it costs you to be snake bitten and shipwrecked. But the only reason you will be that convinced, if you are convinced by love, But if the only thing that convinces you is money, if the only thing that convinces you is your job, if the only thing that convinces you is the fact that you have resources, then you've missed what is good. Because he says this, in due time, we will reap if. Oh, see that reap word starts going back up. Now it's following down the text with you. In due time. Oh, man, I'm running out of time. But do, you got to realize who is the one who is the author of your time. Oh, this is big. Because if you believe in a good father, you also believe in his good timing. And the reason why many of us have given up is because we don't believe in his timing. Because the person who, you know who sets to do the, the requirement for your grades? The teacher. Because she knows when she has to finish what? Grading so you can get your Grade. So therefore, she's say, this is when it's what? Due. But we can't go to the teacher and say, you know what? I want to change the due date and get the right grade. No, you have some penalties for that. So I guess my point is to you is you got to realize who your teacher is. And he's saying, I know when it's good for you. So if you're single right now, you're like, oh, God, I know I'm struggling right now. There's no way I can believe in you right now. You ain't giving me that man or that woman yet. And God's like, no, 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 wait. In due time. But while you got this time, because I gave you the time, I'm challenging you to do good. 
Because I gave you the time. But it's not your time. So if it's not your time and I'm blessing you every day to wake up in the morning, then do what I've called you to do every single moment you have that time. So therefore, maybe it just isn't your season. And here's the thing. I'm tired of preachers going in and out saying, it ain't your season. It's your season. It's not your season. I don't know your season. But God knows your season. So therefore, all I can tell you, if it's not happening, it's because God doesn't want it to. Or you are reaping or you're sowing the wrong seed. You got to be okay with both. Now, it says, if you do not grow weary. You can't get that season if you quit. So therefore, all the things that some of us have been waiting on, you quit too soon. So you like, I don't know why. And you say, you know what? I'm going to lay in my bed and do nothing. And God's like, no, 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 you're missing it. If you do not grow weary. But let's define weary and let's move on. Weary. It is the ability not to get fatigued with life or not to be dictated with the visible results. So therefore, the only thing I guess I can give you in return is that the only person who can dictate the results is God. So we can't get weary or fatigued or tired of doing what God has called us to do. Weary means to be exhausted, to give out. It's to be a temptation to slacken and say, you know what? I'm no longer going to follow God. And you know why I know this is real? Because David was weary in Psalm 6, 6. He was tired. And then God says, come to me all who are what? Weary, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. But then in Jeremiah, guess what he says in 31, verse 25, he says what? I am there for those who are weary. So it's not the fact that you can't get weary. It's the fact that you need to go to God for your strength so you can continue in your weariness. It's not the fact that David and Paul and all these people weren't tired. The reason why he's writing because they were tired. They were tempted to stop. They were tempted to give up their moral responsibility. They were tempted to fall into legalism. But after they realized, you know what, I can't get weary. I can't be tempted to slack off on my responsibilities. Therefore, so I want you to be like David. David cried out when he was tired. Have you ever read some of the Psalms? When this man said, my bed is full of tears. I cry myself to sleep. Oh, God, when are you going to take this away? Just read it with me. And you'll start to realize, wow, this man was tired. You running from your own son. You tired. But he kept crying to the right person because he, he recognized that there was a Jeremiah 31, 25 type God that says, I see your weariness. But guess who gives you strength? The reason why some of us are tired and quitting is because you keep relying on your own physical strength. It's that you're trying to do it all by yourself. But I got news for you. You can't do a Christian walk without the person who gave you your Christianity. 
Like some of us are really exerting ourselves and then we fall into what? Legalism because that's the only thing we can control. So therefore we put rules that don't exist on our faith because we're the, that's the only thing we can fix. So we say if I go to church once a day I keep Satan away. We make our own rules. And then we judge people for how they walk into church because if I dress better than you, then I'm a better Christian. And all of a sudden, we create rules within the church because that's the only thing we can control. But God is like, no, stop. You will get weary with that as well because the only person who can give you the strength to do good is me. You can't have a relationship with God without his strength because how can you pursue perfection when we're all imperfect without the person who gives you the opportunity to pursue it? So the first game after I kept following all the coach's rules, right, I kept doing what he said. And he finally puts me in in the first game against Trinity University. And I'm going to only tell you this story because you got to take your opportunities. So he puts me in like the last quarter. We're losing like 61 to 7. It's a great game. So it's my turn. Which... First and foremost, Austin College, I love you. If you're, anybody's listening from Austin College right now, which probably nobody is, but that's not the point. Anytime you name your school the Austin College Kangaroos, we're going to lose. When your mascot's the Kangaroos, you sent us on the field to lose. Nobody's scared of a kangaroo. Everybody wants to pet a kangaroo. They come out the little pouch in their mama's stomach. Like, oh, that's cute. That's how we came out. Came out the huddle. We was cute. So we were getting beat 61 to 3 for a reason. That's not the point. So we get out there. He's like, go in, Pierre. I was like, oh, shoot, okay, it's my turn. Then all of a sudden, I ran. I followed my receiver. This should show you that they had no respect because they're still throwing the ball, even though it was 61 to 3. But we're not going to talk about that. Any football players know what I'm saying. It's disrespectful. But now, I'm running. He chops his feet. So uh, what do I do? Chop my feet. He turns his head. What do I do? Turn my head. He chops his feet and then plants. What do I do? Chop my feet and plant. All of a sudden, I look back because I wasn't looking before because I trusted what? My practice. So I look back, and all of a sudden, guess what I see? I see a ball because he's looking for the same thing. I put my hands out, and guess what happens? I get that interception that I've been practicing all those years for, and I get to celebrate with my coach and all the sidelines because I saw a freshman who decided to believe in the coach, believe in the practice, and now I get my opportunity to get the interception. You won't get Amen. your interception in life. If you don't chop your feet, if you don't turn when he turns, but if you decide to do it your way, you never get your interception. You never get an opportunity to turn back and see God giving you the opportunity to intercept what is coming for you. You never get the opportunity to celebrate with your teammates because you were never obedient. You didn't throw the right seeds. Some of us are not experiencing our victory because you're not willing to keep practicing. So my point to you is this, because right now after this, I have to conclude with this, but I want you to at least read it with me. Is that fair? It says right here in verse 10, so then, while we have an opportunity, oh, but while we have an opportunity, let us do good. So you're like, well, Pierre, I'm going to wait for the right opportunity. When my wife finally says she's sorry, Perfect opportunity. When my husband finally apologizes, perfect opportunity. When he finally washes them dishes, perfect opportunity. When he takes out the trash, 
perfect opportunity to tell him how much I love him. Nah, if you look at the definition of opportunity, I have to conclude with these. An opportunity in this tense, it says this, a moment or a period, but it's designated by the right person. Oh, you're going to get it. Here it means the opportunity is that there is a seasonable time. Somebody, everybody's waiting on their season, don't realize their season is every day. You're going to get that in a second. In the auditory, it says this, let us be having a seasonable time. Oh, I want to get this. I know that Greek word, and I barely said it right, and my Greek was fading with time. But that's not the point how I said it. What's important says the word doesn't mean when you have this one opportunity, do right. No, no, no. It says, let us be having opportunity. That means you're seizing opportunities. That means every moment you wake up in the morning is your opportunity to do good. Every time your wife wakes up in the morning and you're still angry, it is your opportunity to do good. Every time you are still single and you wake up and you're like, I'm still single, God's like, that is still your opportunity to do good. Even when people are saying, man, give that up or live this way, live this human way. And God's like, stop, continue to do good. You have. Because anytime the person who is over your time gives you time, that is your season. <laughs> because if our God says, wake up, it's your season. When that alarm clock works, that's your season. When you're faced with the same opportunity every single day to be obedient despite your desire to be fleshly, that's your opportunity. Stop looking for some massive opportunity. Stop looking for something to come around like that's miraculous, like now I'm missing my season. That wasn't your season. You missed 30 seasons waiting on a miracle. You didn't handle your savings account for 30 years and finally got this random Nissan Altima in 96, and you're like, that's my season. It's not your season. You missed 30 years to do what God said about your money. You're waiting for these two years to go on your honeymoon period one more time, talking about, oh, me and my wife are finally getting along. No, that's called a honeymoon. But if you take your opportunity every single day, that's your season. You know what I love about seasons? Seasons aren't dependent on nobody else. Have you noticed he never said when somebody does something, you do it? Have you ever noticed in the text he's not talking in a reciprocal sense? He's not saying, when they do this, you do that. He's saying, you do it. Because if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, he says what? Bear one another's burdens. You do that. So if somebody has one, you carry it. Because that is what? Your season. Because I guess, and I can bet all that I have, which is very little on this one thing. Everybody got a burden they can't carry alone. But you know why somebody is still struggling and lonely and depressed? Because nobody's willing to take their opportunity to bear that person's burden. We're too self-absorbed, conceited, prideful. So living where it has a great opportunity to do and take advantage of their opportunities that God has given you. But it's this here, done, to all people, oh, uh-oh, all people made in God's image, all people. Actually, Houston exists because I think America has forgot about all people. 
because we got to do good to all of them. Even the ones that may not like you, even the ones who see you differently, even the ones who may have struggles with how you perceive things, even the ones that you go to work and you're not understanding what's going on, even the ones you're saying have never loved you, even the father that left you, even the mother who said that you were a bad person, even the sister that you don't like, even the cousin that you can't tolerate, even the people, he says you need to do good to all of them. Good is determined by God, not by you. And the people is designated by God, not by you. But then he goes back and says, especially those who are in the household of faith. Especially your church folk. You know the one you pass by and give them the holy wave? The one you knew gossip about you last week on the prayer call? I pray for so-and-so. I think she's pregnant. I just just want you to do good. I'm done with that. All right. Do good to all people. Watch this. Let's read this verse together. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have such a great kind of witnesses, let us surround, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which will easily entangle us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right throne of God. For he, for consider him who endured so much hostility by sinners against himself, so you don't grow weary and lose heart. The only way you will not grow weary is you remember a Jesus who didn't so you can have that life. But the only way you can get that is if you fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith so that you can understand that he went through it too, so so can you. The only reason we have salvation is somebody chose to do good when the opportunity presented itself so now you can live and do good. But if you forget who made you good and also gave you the opportunity to do good, you're going to start doing what you want to do because you forgot the opportunity was given by Jesus Christ himself. So I'm, I'm in my PhD, and that's not to brag because I'm trash. I've been working on the same chapter for six months, and it's costing me a lot of money. So now I've chosen that every time I get an opportunity, I'm going to type something. Sometimes it takes me 30 minutes to write one sentence. You know how frustrating that is? to craft one sentence and then backspace it because now it doesn't make any sense after you read the text again. I want to give up. I'm tired. You can look at it. It's 94 pages, and I'm not sure what I wrote on page 10, but that's not the point. Because come May, that's my goal next year. They will give me some funky-looking roll with some stripes on it and this hat that no person wants to wear. And I wear this robe. And nobody at this church should ever call me doctor, but let's say one day they say, Dr. Pierre Cannons. And they say, you know what? Put on your robe and cross that stage. That's not the clap, because in due season, everyone here will put on their robe. But that's only if you fix your, fix your eyes on who? 
Jesus. And then you look at that screen and you keep typing. Sometimes you're going to have to backspace your life. Sometimes that sentence that you just said ain't going to make no sense. Sometimes you're going to be stuck on page 10. Sometimes you're going to be stuck on page 30. Sometimes you go in the same chapter for 66 months. You're like, when is my marriage going to get fixed? But if you keep doing good, one day when you get to heaven, you will walk across the stage. Because in due time and in due season, you will get to see and put your knees before our God who is good and gave you time on this earth to write your paper called life. My prayer is that you don't quit. Because if you quit, you never cross your stage. Don't let people, circumstances, fatigue ever make you grow weary so that you can cross that stage in due season. Let us pray. Look, I know you're tired because I'm tired. I know some of us want to quit. You came here wanting to quit. Some of us haven't been to church because we, we, we quit already and we came back. We're trying again. And that's okay. Welcome back. If you're online, welcome. My prayer is that this sermon makes you say, you know what, but I'm not going to quit again. My prayer is this sermon makes you realize that I got to keep writing the same sentence. That I got to get back to the same work. That I got to start fixing situations or through God's strength, through the Holy Spirit's strength, I will persevere and not grow weary in well-doing. But you can't do that on your own. That's not something you could do. So if you have been trying to do it on your own today, and you're tired, or if you have quit and you're ready, not to do it by yourself again, but you're ready to submit to God and submit to the Holy Spirit so you can sow the right seeds. If that's you today, I just want to pray with you. Don't let any person distract you from your conviction. It's not an emotional response. It's an response according to the word of God because he says he will split it like bone and marrow. He will divide it. So if he has divided you today, convicted you today and you're like Pierre you know what I have sown the wrong seeds A B I have decided to quit sometimes I just want to persevere C I am tired because I have not seen my season I have not seen the visible results of what I have asked for and you're saying but I don't want to quit no more but not because of me because you know you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so so if that's you today I want you to stand if any of those things are on your heart your mind you're tired you wanted to give up. You want to go back to God's strength. I just want you to stand so I can pray with you. I know. It's one of the hardest things to admit because you have to admit you can't do it by yourself. I know. In your heart, you're like, Pierre, now I'm not going to stand because that would, that would tell everybody in the sanctuary that I have quit before. But who cares what people think about you? What I care about is you committing today, saying, I, God, I need to lean on you. I can't do this no more by myself. My marriage, I can't fix it by myself. My singleness, I can't fix it by myself. I want to fix the season which I throw today because I know if I keep doing good in due season. And I'm going to tell you something honestly. It's not the season in which you imagine sometimes. It's not what you tell God is your season. Are you humble enough today and submissive enough today to say, God, I don't know. 
but I want your season. And even if it's your eternal season, even if it's the one day when he grants you and says, good and faithful servant, even if you never see the results on earth, are you willing to be shipwrecked and beaten? That's, your, that's, that's today. Because I'm talking to myself. I'm tired. And no vacation is going to fix that. I'm being honest with you. Shoot, I leave Monday. It ain't going to fix nothing. The only thing that can fix my fatigue is God himself. So I'm going to let you spend some time while Chris sings. I'm going to let you spend some time in prayer. Let you talk to God. Let you commit to God. Because I know we all tired. So Chris, while you sing... Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open why forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Can I pray with you today? Because this is going to be my prayer. You just get to hear it out loud. Dearly Father, I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm exhausted. And I'm even exhausting of doing good. Like, this world around me surrounds me, and I'm tired. But you are still good. So, God, I pray that I'm patient for your season. I'm willing to wait even if it's eternity, because eternity is well worth the wait. So first, Maranatha, please come. And second, God, I pray if you don't choose not to come yet, give me the endurance, the strength to persevere. For those who are broken, remind them of Jeremiah 31, 25. You said, I am there for those who are weary. Strengthen the hands of those who are tired. Strengthen the marriages of those who feel like they can't continue. Strengthen the singles who are trying to pursue your purity. Strengthen those who have maybe even committed and said, God, I can, I can, I'm going to commit to you my singleness, my life. Strengthen them as well. Strengthen those who are walking onto their jobs and are tired of being the good person. It's not easy, but I pray that they will do exactly what the coach says so one day they can get their reward. God, I love you today. But I'm willing to admit that even I am tired. In Jesus' name, in only Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for letting us be and fix our eyes on you. Amen.